Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small adjustments that lead to major impacts. One Broken Cog, I am Corson Brian Olson, and they say iron sharpens iron. You definitely want to surround yourself with people who contribute to your growth and success. And my guest is one of those people, as she is a true winner in every sense of the word, and her name is Catherine Cantley. Now, Catherine is a tenacious connector and recovering banker. She's a leadership coach helping high potential managers turn into senior leaders, and her sales program for business-to-business selling is creating exceeding results. Now, Catherine is a wife and mom and cares about closing the broadband gaps in rural communities. Catherine, it's great to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Brian. I'm excited to be here. You know, I'm excited as well. You know, I always hear great things about Carolina barbecue, and uh, maybe you can shed the light on if it's really the best. I don't know if you've had like Tennessee or Missouri, Kansas City. <laughs> we do. We do like our barbecue, and uh, my husband is a big um, barbecue cooker, especially during the summertime. We go up to the lake and get one of those big grills that you pull behind the the pickup truck. So South Carolinian here. And um, <laughs> yeah, so you drag it up to the lake and you put the uh, hog on early in the morning so you can have a big lunch after you've played on the lake all morning. So it's a lot of fun. Low and slow, you know, out here in California, it's uh, people don't understand the difference between grilling and barbecuing. You guys got to have that down to a science. So I am definitely a fan of what you're doing out there. Thank you so much. I love some California time. I grew up uh, going out there every summer actually in the San Francisco area, and then returned after I, I got of age so I could go visit the uh, Napa Winery. So you've got um, a great area where you are as well in your state. It's great. And all we have to do is get rid of this governor here and uh, everything will be back to normal and be perfect. And so <laughs> we've just got our 2 million signatures ready to throw this guy out. So that's yeah. exciting. Good to have yeah. goals. You know, I love it. I love it. Get out. I say good, good, good riddance to bad rubbish, as they say in England. So I've got to ask you, you know, we'll talk about your journey because it's, it's been amazing. You've had such an amazing journey, but I have to ask you right out of the gate how you facilitated a $12.1 million pub- public-private investment for a rural community. And I know the, the goal was to close broadband gaps. We'd love to hear about that. Yeah, so um, so I guess you just want to hear that I, I've signed up and, and got a, a bottle of vitamins and, and took one vitamin a day, and, and that was it, and it, it just <laughs> happened. It was a miracle. Lightning struck, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it can't be any easier than that, right? So, That's right. Um, yeah, there was a little bit more to it than, you know, signing up for an info commercial and, and just getting the package and taking care of everything. So, um, it's, it's kind of a long story, but I'm going to make it short if I can. Actually, I spent a number of years in farm credit, which is a bank that supports rural communities for agriculture and lending and mortgages and took a chance and went to a lunch and learn one day at the main bank and learned about vertical assets. And if you've ever been out on a farm, you know that they have tons of technology and there's not always reliable broadband. There are things that go up into the air like um, water towers and grain bins, and those are called vertical assets. So I learned about this and you can actually sell real estate on a vertical asset to broadband providers. And I thought, well, this is pretty creative. So why don't I get this speaker who seems to know a little bit about broadband, um, ask him to do a map of my county that I live in, in South Carolina, and tell me where the gaps are. And so he was able to do a map for me. This took a couple of months because we were just kind of, you know, how you bounce back and forth with emails and phone calls. So we went back and forth for a little while. He got me a map and um, he was like, yeah, you guys have a lot of gaps there. And I said, yeah, so that's good. So what do you do now? 
And he said, well, there's something out for the um, USDA, United States Department of Agriculture, an actual grant. And it's $600 million going out across the country. And if you're a qualified community, you could receive some of this funding. So um, I took a chance and reached out to a number of folks in our community, in the schools, in the agriculture, in the um, medical arena, government officials, you name it, we, we pulled them together into a room. And so it was only maybe 12 to 15 people that showed up. And I asked one question. And it was all about, do we need reliable broadband for the future of our community? And despite all the backgrounds, difference of opinions, et cetera, that was the one answer that they all agreed on was, yes, we need reliable broadband. So from that answer, um, I reached out to the only telecommunications provider that was eligible for the grant and asked to have a meeting with them, showed them that we had a map and that we're provider friendly. And they decided to take another chance um, and uh, apply for this grant. So they had to hire a lot of uh, consultants to come in and work with the community. We had to get a number of letters to show support that if this did go in, that in fact, there are people that need it and want it and and are willing to pay for it. So um, after the grant was submitted, I think we waited. It must have been a good 10 months before we received word that we were actually the only people in South Carolina to receive the pure grant. And in order to get the $9.1 million grant, our telecommunications provider actually had to show some good faith and, and agree that they're going to put up $3 million. So as a result of that, in February of 2020, um, we received $12.1 million. That's going into broadband communications in our community to help close the broadband gap. And what that means is there will be 256 miles of fiber that's going out into the community to help close close these gaps for the farmers and for the education, for the folks that are working at home, especially now during COVID. There's just a whole new world that's out there and we need to have reliable broadband. So that's kind of my, my short version of a, of a long story. It's amazing. You're going to see some great change and impact come out of that. How quickly are they moving on this? When do you think that, that the estimated completion date for this thing will be? I am extremely confident in these folks. Um, they have been nothing but responsive the entire time. They have up to five years in order to put the fiber out. And part of the contract includes that all the fiber needs to come from USA, which is great. The problem is, is everybody has to get their fiber from USA. And, um, and so when you're looking for manufacturers, you put in, you know, requests from all these folks across the country and you've got your fingers crossed that somebody's going to be able to deliver on time. So we're kind of at the mercy of how fast can the wires get created and the fiber get created and shipped out to us. And they have put in orders all over the country. So they said, oh my God, if it all shows up at once, we're going to, we're going to maybe begin to uh, sell fiber. But um, <laughs> yeah, so they have up to five years, but given you know the fiber that that's coming in, uh, they expect to have this done in the next two to three years. Nice. That's amazing. Congratulations. I'm sure the, the community there, they're formulating a parade for you as we speak, right? <laughs> I seriously doubt that. No, um, I, I tend to fly under the radar. So um, that's, that's kind of my method, but I'm super excited to be a part of the many, many people that came together to help make this happen. 
No, that's great. I, I love it. It's so amazing. Now, I know right now you are helping leaders. You're kind of shaping them into becoming leaders. And you're also helping organizations increase their sales, which is amazing. We'll get to that in a second here. You had an interesting journey, right? You had some early jobs that helped shape you and guide you along the path. Would love to hear some of the stories about those early jobs, the experiences you had, and how it helped you kind of go in the direction that you are today into becoming the coach that you are. Yeah, I think there's a a theme with most of these positions that I've had over the years, and it usually starts with nobody really wanted that job when I took it. And uh, the only place you can go is up from there. So I went in with pretty low expectations for the majority of of these positions. Even in college, I started out as a bank teller. Nobody really wants to be a bank teller that floats around the state and fills in for people taking vacations um, and counting all that dirty convenience store cash. So it, it started just taking these jobs that nobody else really wanted. And I remember taking a position at a a Southeastern bank covered five of the Southeastern states. And when I actually walked in and started meeting the folks that were supporting this position, I said, I asked a little bit about their background and what, you know, where they plan on going and supporting the company, et cetera. And I don't know, it always just came back around to, yeah, nobody really wanted your job. That's why it took so long (laughs) to, um, to get it filled. And I thought, who wouldn't want this? I mean, you get to start from scratch and there hasn't been any real success of, of establishing services to help the clients. And, um, it, you know, everybody has a different seat on the bus and those other folks on the team had incredible talent where they were sitting and they did a really good job. And I feel like what I learned from that particular experience is if there's a way to bridge what the client needs or the prospect needs and what operations is able to do within a real realistic time frame, you can create some pretty remarkable products and they don't always have to be as flashy as the new iPhone. If you can just support a client in a realistic expectation, um, you can really get, get a lot done and people are willing to pay for that, especially if you say you're going to do what you're going to do. So it's, it's a lot about the experience. And I'm sure you see that a lot um, in, in selling is, is the whole CX customer experience and the journey that, that we take them on. And um, just working in that particular bank for 12 years gave me a great perspective of bridging the gap between what we could do and what we're willing to do and what the customer is willing to pay for. It's awesome. I'm glad that uh, you had the experience. It really helped formulate what you're doing today. Now, when did that spark first arise? You know, how did the transition happen from corporate America into your current role, you know, stepping out on your own, starting your own business? Yeah. So I've been married for a little over 20 years and my husband is a serial entrepreneur and I've always admired his freedom that, that he created with his positions and different businesses that he's created over the years. And I just joked. And I think this joke just finally came true. I joke that one day I'm going to retire from banking and, um, and you know, folks said, Oh, you're, you don't know how to sit still. I don't know how this is going to happen. And, and really my definition of retirement is not stopping everything that I'm doing. It's just being selective of who I get to work with and whose problems I get to solve. And so when I transitioned from banking to being on my own, it's opened up some really fun opportunities 
to work on just different types of projects that are out there. And I love the flexibility. And, you know, after I've said it for 20 years, I'm going to retire, you know, um, one day I'm, I'm not going to have to go get on that airplane because I have to, I'm going to get on the plane because I want to. And um, just saying it over and over again. And then it each day got a little bit closer. And, you know, a few years before I actually took the leap, I hired a coach to help me get through this process and begin to make that plan. And she was a, a great asset and has turned into just a really good friend to rely on. And, um, you know, nothing happens overnight. There's, there's just this natural curiosity of, well, what do we do next? And what do we do next? And we don't always know the answers. And we've got to be okay with that because the answer we may not know, but it may end up a heck of a lot better than we ever anticipated in the first place. No, for sure. Now, the, when you sought out the coach, what do you think that the number one thing that that coach did for you? Was it specific instruction? Was it just giving you confidence or a game plan? What do you think you, you really took away from the coaching experience? She gave me the tangible things I needed to do to create the momentum to give myself the confidence that I needed. So, you know, we would meet every few weeks and she would give me almost like homework assignments of this is what we need to do next. And, you know, she was very honest. She said, it's going to get probably worse before it gets better. It'll get a little gray and fuzzy before we really nail down what it is that this is going to look like. And um, so I just kind of trusted the process and continued to show up and continue to do the kind of the homework assignments and created small wins. And a small win could be as simple as, you know, getting a logo designed and creating my own website and running out during lunch to get headshots done for my website. And, you know, all these little small things that you have to do to finally realize, okay, I've taken as far as I can working full time and doing this. Am I ready to commit? So she helped me establish these small wins that allowed me to, to have the confidence to be able to go out on my own. I love it. Now, I know that you're an introvert. Was it difficult for you stepping up and leading, being that you are an introvert? You know, I started standing up and speaking in front of people when I was probably 14. And it was scary as anything. And I remember a friend nominated me to lead a, a club, a spirit club of all things. So I'm not a cheerleader type. I'm more of a golfer and an independent and an introvert. So when I stood up there as a sophomore in high school, trying to lead a crowd of 300 people throughout the entire high school, you know, it. I learned a lot about speaking and I guess I learned to compartmentalize those fears and, and try to deal with them later. And um, as I've, I've just kind of had these different experiences, I remember working at the, um, the bank that was across the Southeast and I had experiences where I needed to stand up in front of a room and talk about remote deposit capture back in the day when that didn't really exist. And there are little devices that you scan your checks for the, for the business customers. And I just remember walking around the room with a lapel mic on, you know, talking about this stuff. And there's this mix of emotion of, you know, you've got a lot of energy and nerves and excitement and, and just a lot of nervousness that comes to it. And I remember reading years later that, um, that I guess fear and, and, 
and excitement or nervousness and excitement are the same. So as I'm feeling this nervousness now, I just know that I'm excited and that I care about this particular topic. And it's not a bad thing that I'm still getting nervous standing up in front of people and and speaking and leading and reaching out to people in new ways. You know, as scary as it is, I think sometimes the best lessons are, are when we stick ourselves out there and, and take a chance. And that's when we we tend to learn the most. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, public speaking is the number one fear of anyone. You know, it's on record. And yeah. uh, no, you're right. Stepping outside of your comfort zone, you do learn a lot about yourself. You realize, hey, it's not that bad. I can do this. And that, of course, leads to more confidence and more wins. It's just a beautiful process there. Now, I know you're helping people grow their businesses from home using 20 years of B2B sales experience that you do have. And you have a three-step process that can get people started to create small wins immediately. We'd love to hear more about the three-step process that you have. Thank you for asking. Um, Yeah, so as a result of just this crazy position we've all been put in for the for the year 2020 is you know how do you how do you continue to grow business and especially b2b business business to business um, how do you continue to grow that when we are basically locked down and we cannot go to conferences and trade shows and things like that that we're used to and I was explaining to somebody and I just thought it was you know pretty common you know here are the three things that I tend to do and I started explaining it and realized I'm, you know, this might actually be a process that's worth, you know, documenting. So um, I ended up packaging it up and um, selling it to to one business for their young sales team, and uh, just to get some good foundational processes in place. And then I ended up um, also repackaging it and using it to create an online course. So you know, I'm just trying to play with different ideas to see what's going to fit. And the three main topics are clarifying your message is the first one. You know, so so often we need that elevator pitch and that's important. But what is, what's your message and what are you trying to accomplish and how do you help people? And, um, you know, the hero's journey and and how you and I in the, in the sales world, we need to be be the guide and not and and not the hero of our own story. So, you know, just trying to relay that into easy language that makes it easy for people to connect with us. So, clarifying the message is the first step in the process. The second is something that I've learned over the years just navigating corporate America, which is how do you create influence and how do you lead with influence and um, how do you create change especially in a place where we don't always have all these people that report to us, but we have a lot of peers that we need. We need help from these peers in order to drive projects forward. And not everybody works for you or me anymore. You know, we've got some flat organizations and we've, we've got to get along with a lot of different people. So how do we lead with influence? And so the second, the second module of the work is, is all about leading with influence and creating change. And then the last piece, especially um, with with the shutdown of everything, is how do you leverage LinkedIn? And I put together a, a module in at the end that just talks about leveraging LinkedIn and what are some basic things that you can do to get your profile out there and organized. And it's not just an online resume anymore. It's actually a way to connect with people, network with people, and be in control of who you're going to spend your time with and who you're surrounding yourself with on LinkedIn. So 
Um, it's a it's a three step process. It's it's available online as just a, a online course now on my website. And uh, again, the three steps: just clarifying your message, leading with influence, and the third one is leveraging LinkedIn. It's good stuff. I encourage people to go check that out. Now, when you first met with your initial clients, where were they getting it wrong the most? What was the most common problem in the organization that you ran into? You know, I remember my first large client that came in, they, well, they acknowledged that they didn't have the time to dedicate to their, to their employees and to their up and coming talent. And I think that's a common problem in other places, not necessarily with that particular client, but there's so many organizations that do not acknowledge that they need an established training program, process, coaching process, et cetera. So many people expect so much out of their employees, but you know, you've, you quoted in some of your articles and and I love the research that you put out there because it's just good stats. And, you know, you get back to the numbers that um, support everything that we're talking about. And one of the, um, I think one of the items that you had was, you know, we spend ten to twenty thousand dollars to hire somebody, and then we go and we spend two thousand dollars a year max on their training and development. And so we put so much money into recruiting these people. Once we get them, we just drop the ball. And so that's a huge problem. And we need to proactively recruit these people because the turnover rate is just going to continue to be low, like it's always going to be. But when you finally find these folks that have the talent that you want to retain because it's going to help you grow your business, you know, what are you doing for them? And how are you supporting them and investing in them just like you're investing in the rest of the areas of your business? So the biggest the biggest thing I see right now is they're not investing in their employees. And when they do, they're they're just trying to do the bare minimum. And they just want to check the box and they fully do not understand the benefits that can come from the training and the coaching aspect. You know, you've got Tiger Woods, the golfer, and you've got all these sports analogies and these folks, they all have these incredible coaches and they're at the top of their game because they have coaches and they're surrounding themselves with these resources. And then we go into corporate America or any other industry And we just expect miracles out of people that we just made an offer to, and we expect for them to continue to rise, but we're not continuing to support them in that same, you know, champion arena that we see in the rest of the world. Yeah, it's amazing. People hire experience and resumes and expect, like you said, mountains to be moved. And Mm -hmm. with little to no investment in their growth or no tools, no process, nothing to support them in, in achieving those things. And they wonder why the churn happens. And of course, Churn is so expensive. And most of the time people reach out to me and I'm sure yourself too, when things hit rock bottom and they're just at a loss, we have no idea what's going on here. And their first instinct is to blame the salespeople, which is very interesting. Now, it's also interesting the fact that, you know, you talk about lack of training. I mean, you look at leadership as an example, you know, it's the sales manager or whatever middle manager that person is or leaders, you know, there's hardly any investment in those people, you know, whether it be initial training or even training budget. I know you have a leadership coaching process. And it's resulted in an amazing 100% measurable success. And it's been judged by others, not yourself. I would love to hear about how you're doing this and uh, and who's judging this. How are you seeing these results? Yeah, I love uh, measurable change. It must be the uh, the old banker in me that, you know, if, if we're going to create change, 
We need to be able to measure it. We need to be able to measure just like a sales goal. You know, do we meet our goal or do we exceed our goal or how do we measure what success looks like? So with this particular process with stakeholder center coaching, this actually allows the leader. Well, first of all, we've got to pre-qualify the leader. This is not for just anybody. Um, these are going to be for your sales leaders or any leader in an organization who has the courage and the humility and the discipline to continue their career. And they need to have the courage to receive the um, the feedback that they're going to receive from peers and stakeholders. They need the humility to, to be able, again, to receive this and the courage to step up to it. And then the discipline day in and day out, you know, we've, we've got to continue to show up and Really, when you think about it, those are all the things that you have with key leaders at the top of the organization. Traditionally, is is courage and humility and discipline to be able to um, be able to lead crowds. So, those are three things that that we look at before we even start working with a client. And um, so, once once we can identify and confirm that that this is something that they're willing to do. Um, we go through a um, a 360 process with their stakeholders, with their peers around them, and those usually include a manager, a direct report, a um, a peer, and, and maybe a couple others. And I like to hear what is this individual doing well, what could they improve upon, and um, and we we compile a list and we make it anonymous. We go back to the leader and we say this is just what we're what we're hearing and seeing. From the folks around you, because the research shows that, you know, you may think that you're acting a certain way, but however you you're acting, you know, you know how you're interacting with people within a room and within a meeting, et cetera. And it's it's something that connects the fact that when some when they read it on the page that maybe they need to improve on communications, and then the leader says, Oh, you know, I kind of thought I didn't really work so well with communication. So I, I kind of knew I needed to work on that a little bit, but there seems to be a theme in here. And gosh, now that they already say they see it and I know I need to work on it, then that makes it pretty easy to identify that in one example, we're going to work on, you know, improving communications am- among the team from this particular leader. And um, we all know that, you know, as we grow within organizations, we, as we grow and, and whatever we were doing to get us to a certain point, we're going to have to pivot and change. And so we may have worked on communication at the beginning of our career and it went really well. And now we're kind of at that midpoint or we're climbing the ladder even further. And we're realizing I got to go back and just kind of brush up on my communication because that could really enhance the way these teams are working together right now. So um, we, we identify a, a a key leadership item that they want to work on. And I have a list of 20 of the most common ones that folks have been working on for the past 40 years. And um, so they they go through that. And then after we get to 360 and everybody's kind of on the same page and they've acknowledged that they want to work on that particular leadership skill, then we engage the stakeholders. And we've got to let the stakeholders know that what's been in the past is the past. We can't change it. Let's um, let's let bygones be bygones and, and move forward. So if I'm going to work on communication, let's just talk about things I can do in the future to make it better. And the one of the reasons this process works so well is people can receive the information easier when it's future 
based. And it's not about how I just blew up that last meeting with my poor communication skills. And so we asked stakeholders, their manager, their peers, their direct reports, what are one or two things that this leader can do in the next meeting to become more effective at communication? And it's actually the leader that that spends time briefly. I mean, when I say briefly, you know, just keep it short. People don't have a whole lot of time to get through, you know, long meetings and new meetings. But just what are one or two things I can do better in this next meeting? And the leader, you know, just simply says thank you. They don't argue and they try something out if they choose to and go back and follow up and explain what they tried and and how it happened. So um, we actually repeat that process for at least six months of the leader working with these individuals. And um, and at the very end of the um, engagement, we have a mini survey. There are three short questions. A couple of them are, you know, how has this leader improved on a scale of negative three to positive three? And uh, all we really need is a one. We just need an acknowledgement from the stakeholders that the leader has improved in their in their skills. And uh, another question on the the very short mini survey is uh, what are one or two things a leader could do going forward? So it's all about future focus. It's all about building people up. It's about um, collaboration among team members and um, all of the individuals that I've worked with, um, a little over 20 folks, especially this first year out, um, they've all created measurable results as seen by their stakeholders and as seen by their peers. So it's been really just a, a gift to be able to support these folks as they choose to have the courage and humility and discipline to step up. And um, it's been a gift to be able to be their sounding board as they work through what they're willing to try. And uh, it's it's been really cool to get to see them be able to create the success and get recognized for the behavior that they know is going to help advance their career and the business as a whole. No, it's such a great approach. And it's no wonder you're seeing such stellar results. Now, as far as the emerging leaders that you've worked with, what were they struggling with the most when you first met them? And what are some of the changes that you've witnessed after you've completed your uh, sessions with them? So I work with individuals and with teams. And, you know, it's one of the closeout for the team kind of comes to mind because we had so many people getting feedback in one room and it was feedback on their experience. And what they overwhelmingly were saying was that they wanted to work on one or two things. And when they acknowledged it, they realized that it was a lot easier to change once they created transparency between them and the stakeholders who they wanted to be recognized as improving um, their leadership skills. So, you know, this past year, there was a lot of folks who just wanted to elevate their executive presence. And what they shared with me was, you know, they were able to elevate it and they were able to get recognized for it, but it opened up communications and dialogue to people across the company that allowed them to have their career grow in a way that they didn't know. And when you're engaging with other people and asking for their feed forward, you know, what are a few things I can do going, going forward, it kind of brings people along on your career path and they cheer you on. And it was such a build up opportunity and, and pump people up. And, you know, it's, it's not always, you know, perfect, but for something that, you know, everybody's kind of like, oh, I got to go to training or, oh, you know, they hired a coach for me. But 
they received just positive reinforcement and they chose what they wanted to work on. So at the end of it, it was just very, very positive and uplifting. And in this prior year, I saw a lot of people wanting to elevate their executive presence. And then what I have seen this year, kind of as we're coming out of COVID, is people want to delegate more effectively. And so I'm excited to see, you know, what the turnout's going to be after working with um, with individuals on how to delegate more effectively because we got to keep growing. And um, it'll be interesting to see what their feedback is after um, after going through the program. Definitely. And it's a lot easier for you because you have that great Southern drawl. So it's they're much more receptive <laughs> to listen to you, right? <laughs> I don't know about that, but I'll take it. <laughs> there you go. Well, Catherine, it's been great. Any last uh, words of wisdom or anything you'd like to share with the audience before we wrap up? Just keep tuning in. I really do enjoy your uh, podcast. So I've, I've you know, met you through the internet and, you know, we're across the country, but I really like the interviews that you have here. So yeah, if they're listening in, just keep listening. Cause I can't wait to hear you, who you're going to have on next. Yeah. Actually a sneak preview. We've actually got the founder of comedy central coming up this Friday. And uh, yeah, my next session, we've got uh, an amazing photographer who's worked with the Hollywood elite presidents, Kings celebrities. So it's going to be a little bit different, but, but fun. That is fun, Brian. Just keep up the great work. This is awesome. Thank you. Now, Catherine, one last question. It's a personal question just to get to know you just a little bit better. So you're going to retire, move to a nice private island, and you can only bring one book, one movie, and one album. What would they be? Can I bring my Kindle that has all my books? It's just, it takes up the same space. Well, um, you probably you don't have an internet connection out there, so it has to be a <laughs> written page. <laughs> oh, one book, one book, one book. Um, Gosh, I think I'd take, well, this is kind of, I don't know, not about leadership, but probably the Bible for dummies. <laughs> there you go. You know, just so I can kind of get back in tune with everything and, and hopefully have somebody break it down to simplicity, simplicity so I can understand it since I'd have tons of time. There you go. I love it. And what about the movie and the album? Hmm, the movie. Oh, you know, the movie. Probably Goonies. I like Goonies. And we have ah, a, that's a good one. An, an eight-year-old son, and that's just like a good movie that could keep you know, people entertained of all ages. And, um, as far as an album, um, I like Chris Stapleton's new album that's out. So I'd take nice. that. Yeah. You are Fun. a true South Carolinian through and through. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me, Brian. I hope uh, this wasn't too Southern for you. <laughs> no, no, I like it. It's, it's a change of pace, which is always great. I feel connected to any Southern roots that I have somewhere deep in the family tree. So Catherine, it's been amazing. How do people connect with you, learn more, utilize your services? Well, if you have internet where you are, um, my uh, website is katherinecanty.com or you can find me at LinkedIn under Catherine Canty. Catherine, it's been amazing. Have a beautiful day out there in South Carolina. Eat some barbecue for me and definitely keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Brian. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thank you for spending time with us today. We encourage you to join the many businesses that we have helped to achieve their objectives, align their departments, and increase their revenue. You can start by reaching out to us at results at onebrokencog.com. Together, we will make small adjustments that will lead to major impacts to your business, your culture, and your bottom line.